Well, Christmas is a week away. Everybody ready? Ready for Christmas? Some of you are like, nope. Have you at least started your Christmas shopping yet? If not, may God be with you this week as you battle the crowds and the parking lots, along with all the other procrastinators this time of year. Uh, I'm excited and I am ready for Christmas. I love this time of year. Um, We are continuing this morning with our Advent series. Um, Advent is a word that means, again, arrival or coming and Of course, this time of year, we talk about, celebrate the story of Jesus coming to earth. And um, as we just heard, read um, in Luke chapter one, it's interesting the way Luke tells the Christmas story. A lot of times we want to jump really quick to um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but Luke tells the story with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, but there's this other couple there as well, this other couple that he talks about in Zechariah. Elizabeth, and then their son, John. And so it's interesting that the story is really told with these two couples alongside each other, these sort of parallel stories, if you will. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, of course, are an older couple. Uh, Joseph and Mary are a younger couple. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are married. Um, Mary and Joseph are, they're betrothed, so not yet married. They're planning to be married. Uh, Both of their sons are born in really supernatural ways. Um, And then we know that Mary and Elizabeth were related, meaning that their sons were related. So Jesus and then John the Baptist, um, they're born about within about six months of each other, and they're most likely cousins, most likely they're cousins. And so it's interesting that we read about um, the birth of John the Baptist, and and again, the text that was just read, our Advent reading, um, is that, you know, it came time, Elizabeth bears the son named John, and well, she says that his name should be John. And you notice in the text, it's like, it's like nobody believes her. They're like, mm, that's not the father's name. So in that day, it would have been customary to name the child, especially if you were only gonna have one after the father. And so they start to ask like, no, really, let's ask the dad. Well, remember the dad can't talk yet. So he asks for a tablet and he's like, his name is John. <laughs> and then he can talk again. And then we read, the part we didn't read was Zechariah's prophecy where he basically um, is reciting God's faithfulness to Israel um, and then sort of ushering in um, the the coming kingdom of God, which will again arrive in uh, with Christ. And so that kind of wraps up Luke chapter one. And what I wanted to look at this morning with you is this person of John the Baptist. Again, he is a a pivotal and very important person um, in the New Testament. Um, He's called the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's mentioned in all four gospels. That tells you that he's important when all four gospels include John the Baptist and include his story. Interestingly enough, we actually get more detail about his story and his ministry over in John's gospel. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually gonna be in John chapter one, um, looking specifically at the life of John the Baptist. Now, one thing about John the Baptist, he's honestly one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Um, Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus actually said this about John the Baptist. He said, um, of those born among women, so basically those born by natural means, none was greater than John the Baptist. That is some pretty lofty praise from Jesus himself, right? Jesus said John was the greatest. Now, whenever we have discussions about the greatest in just about any area of life, there's some debate, isn't there? You ever had that discussion with your friend or family member about who the greatest was in any particular area? There's always room for debate, right? I'll give you an example. If I were to say, who was the greatest U.S. president? 
of all time. My guess is that there'd be a little debate, right? Maybe you would disagree. Here's who I think, this is my opinion. I'm a big, you know, Abraham Lincoln. I think he was maybe the greatest president. I've read a lot about just the way he held the union together and the Civil War and all the obstacles. And I just, I just like Abraham Lincoln. So I would say he's the greatest. Maybe you're more of like a, a Trump or a Biden person. That's fine. I'm on Team Abe here, okay? Team Abe. If I were to say to you, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Now, there really shouldn't be a debate, right? There really shouldn't be a debate, but there is. There's even some of our own staff members, young whippersnappers that don't appreciate the greatness of Michael. And they're wrong, but they're entitled to their opinion, right? They're entitled to their opinion. If I say the greatest country music singer of all time, again, there really shouldn't be a debate, right? There really shouldn't be. Now, some people might disagree, but they're wrong. It's just the way it is. Or, you know, we could even, we could even say, who's the greatest Christian of all time, and maybe you might think the Apostle Paul. I don't have his picture because photography wasn't a thing back then, right? Or maybe you would say Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. There's some debate, right? Who's the greatest Christian of all time? But Jesus himself said that John the Baptist, he called John the Baptist great. So listen, if Jesus called someone great, then it's probably a good idea for us to Maybe examine their life and explore their life and see what we can learn from their life because, again, Jesus called him great and that is not insignificant. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. That's lofty praise from the one that we worship. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at John the Baptist and I want us to maybe ask ourselves some questions. As I read about John the Baptist, again, he's one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible for a, for a number of reasons. Um, But as I read his life, there's some questions that I think he causes me to ask myself, and I think they are questions that we should ask ourselves periodically, all right? The first one of those is a question of identity. It's a question of identity, and I'll ask it this way. What is your identity rooted in? You are going to live your life. You are going to make decisions. You are going to operate out of your sense of identity, So it's a really good question for us to say, where is my identity rooted? This world, um, there's a lot of things in this world that sort of um, are vying for our attention and our affection and our adoration and our praise. There's also seemingly like a war going on uh, of things that that want to be the source of our identity. Some people find their identity in what they do, what they do. Their accomplishments, their achievements, maybe their job, that is the supreme source of their identity. Other people find their identity in their family. Are they a good spouse? Is their marriage, like in their marriage or their kids or the success and the achievement of their kids? Some people find their identity in, in extracurricular things, hobbies, interests, sports, whatever it may be. Some people, sadly, in our culture, a lot of people find their identity first and foremost in like their sexuality and that's what they, what, that's what they wanna be known, that's the primary thing. But listen, As Christians, we should find our identity. Our identity should be rooted in not who people say that we are, not, you know, the things that have been done to us or or, or sins or failures and faults that we have. Our identity should be rooted in who God says that we are. And that's what John the Baptist, as I read about his life, man, that's what he seemed to grasp so clearly. John's identity was rooted in who God says that he was. And you know this because, listen, John was an odd guy. If you read about his life, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago, he had a weird look, like he, he lived in the wilderness, 
and he wore, the Bible says, clothes made of like camel's skin, camel's hair, and a big leather belt. That was not the normal attire of the day, okay? He looked kind of odd, think like Grizzly Adams looking, like living in the wilderness, probably not a lot of barbers out there. Uh, he, came, he screamed at people to repent, and he had a baptism operation, which was different, right? There's a lot of stuff about John that made him odd, and I love that about John. Like, John seemed to live with this freedom where he didn't care what everybody else thought about him. He only cared about what God thought. Can you imagine? Like, I, I wish I could be like that, right? Honestly, I wish that I could legitimately say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I just care what God thinks, right? Some of you might have family member and they dress kind of weird, and you're like, they clearly don't care what other people think, right? Uh, that was John the Baptist, right? He just didn't care what anyone else thought, but he cared what God thought. He cared what God thought. See, John's identity was rooted in who God said that he was. His story in John chapter one, I'll begin in verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John the Baptist as a rather odd guy, he's got this baptism ministry going on, and they're starting, he's starting to get a little bit of a following. Enough that the people in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the leaders, they take note of this, and so they send a delegation down there to ask him, well, well, well who are you? Some people are saying, you're, maybe you're the, you're the Messiah. Some people are saying, you're Elijah, the prophet, sort of reincarnated, and some people say, you're this other prophet that's gonna come, and so they, they ask him who he is, and listen, John had an opportunity here to really make a big name for himself, to really make a splash, to really grow his ministry. He could have said, yes, I am the Messiah, right? He could have, he could have done that. He could have said, yes, I am the prophet Elijah. But, but when they asked him who he was, he was very confident and he was very clear in who God called him to be. He wasn't trying to be someone different. He says, I'm not any of them. I'm not any of them. And, and again, I just, when I read about John the Baptist, it's just one of those questions that I think we should be asking ourselves. Man, where is our identity rooted? Where is our identity rooted? The second question that when I read about John the Baptist's life, it's a question of humility. And I'm gonna ask it a little different way. It might sound odd at first, but humility. What are you full of? <laughs> Here's the thing. The Bible says very clearly that John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says that his whole family, and you can look in Luke 1, verse 41, it says Elizabeth, his mom, was filled with, full of the Holy Spirit. Then you can look in Luke 1, verse 67, and see that Zechariah, his father, the Bible says, was full of the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke 1, verse 80, you see that John himself was also full of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask it this way on purpose, because here's the thing. If you're full of yourself you're not gonna be full of the Holy Spirit, right? You can't be full of both. <laughs> you're gonna either be full of yourself, ego, pride, or you can be full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says John was full of the Holy Spirit, and one of the most noteworthy things about John was his humility. John was a man who walked in just an unbelievable amount of humility. Look at the next part of the text here. 
Um, We pick up here in John uh, 1, verse 24. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, this kind of group, this committee that goes down to check out John. And it says, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? But John, uh, John answered them. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, and listen to this, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then look at this, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Jump down to verse 35. The next day then, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And then two of his disciples, two of John's disciples heard him say this and then they followed Jesus. I mean, the the humility that John seems to live with. He wasn't caught up in in this like, my ministry, I gotta be bigger than that guy and my ministry's gotta be better than that guy's ministry. He just seemed to have this unbelievable humility and he had all this opportunity to really, really make a name for himself, to declare that he was someone super important every time he was asked. People hanging on his every word and yet every time he said, nope, I'm not the guy, that's the guy. There's Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and even his own followers leave John to go follow Jesus and John's completely okay with it. He's got no problem with it at all. The humility with which John lives again, just periodically causes me to ask myself this question. Man, am I filled with the Holy Spirit or am I filled with myself? The Bible says John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit, allowed him to walk in a lot of humility. And can I just tell you, as you kind of peruse through the pages of Scripture, both Old Testament and New, there's this inescapable fact that humility is very attractive to God. Humility is is very attractive to God. It seems to be something God is indeed looking for from his people. I'll just give you a few few verses. This is not a a comprehensive list at all, but I I jotted down a few. We'll throw them up here on the screen. In uh, Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. To the humble, he gives favor. Over in Isaiah 66, verse two. It says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things come back, came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. A few, uh, last week, Austin, um, the part of the Advent story we looked at was when the angel showed up to Mary. And so Austin kind of walked through that text about the angel showing up to Mary, but then the part we didn't get to is um, this beautiful text in Luke 1 called the Magnificat. That is Mary's response. It's her, her song, if you will, back to God. And a couple different times in that song, Mary mentions humility. Uh, in verse 48 of Luke 1, Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me Blessed. Down in verse 52, Mary says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Towards the end of the New Testament, James, towards the back of the New Testament, James writes this in James chapter four, verse six. He says, but he gives more grace. 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Down in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Over and over and over again, there seems to be this big idea or this big theme that humility seems to get the attention of God in some very favorable ways. I'll say that again. Humility seems to get the attention of God in some very favorable ways. So what are you full of? You're full of yourself or you can be full of humility. You can't be full of both. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was, seemed to be free from ego and pride that is the downfall of so many people that are great. John the Baptist walked in humility. The third question that as I read about John the Baptist's life, it kind of causes me to ask is a question of capacity. A question of capacity. And here's the way I'll ask this question. What is your role in God's kingdom? What is your role in God's kingdom? God has given all of us a capacity to help build his kingdom. And so what is your role? One thing I love about John is, again, John seemed to know his role, and he wasn't always trying to, you know, do someone else's role or be someone else. We'll pick up the story in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. Well, John was also baptizing at Aenon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25. It says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, talking about Jesus, look, he's baptizing and and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John's like, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. Like, I'm the friend. I'm excited for the bridegroom. And so even his own disciples, his own followers, you see what they're doing? They're trying to have this comparison game, right? They're they're worried that now this Jesus guy, he's baptizing, and more people are going over to him than than they are coming to you. And they want John to do something about that. They're like, hey, his ministry is growing faster than yours. What are we going to do about it? And John's like, nothing. They should be going to him. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. See, John knew his role. He wasn't trying to accomplish someone else's role. He wasn't trying to be Jesus. He wasn't trying to be someone else. He was, again, confident in his identity. He was confident in the role God had given him in the kingdom, which was to be the one that prepares the way for Christ. It wasn't to be the Christ. When we think about our capacity for kingdom work, I think if we're honest, some of us have to look in the mirror in our most quiet moments and we have to ask ourselves this question, right? Am I really doing anything to build the kingdom? Am I using the capacity that God has given me in any way, shape, or form? Am I serving? Am I giving? Am I, am I blessing other people? Am I on mission? Am I, am I doing anything? What am I doing with the capacity that God has given me for kingdom work? And I think it's a legit and honest question that we should ask ourselves. I think for some of us, though, it's the opposite end of the, of the, uh, of the, of the pendulum, if you will, right? 
For some, the question is maybe, am I trying to do too much? Am I trying to be too much? Like some of you maybe, you're like spinning your wheel like you're a hamster on a treadmill, right? Just working, 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 trying to do, trying to accomplish, trying to be, trying to, man, you gotta, you gotta be the one to just do everything for the Lord and you're wearing yourself out and you're burning yourself out because maybe, just maybe, you're trying to take on stuff God hasn't really asked you to take on. One of the more noteworthy things about John, Jesus called him the greatest among those born of natural means. And yet, John didn't actually do a lot. You notice that? He didn't actually accomplish much. John's whole ministry lasted like six months. That was it. Not long after what we're reading here, John is arrested, and then not long after that, he's killed while in prison. John didn't actually do a lot. Isn't that crazy? Jesus called him great, and he didn't actually accomplish much, but he did what God gave him to do. He did exactly what God gave him to do. And so I think there's a really big lesson in that for you and for me. Some of us think that to be great in God's eyes, that God wants us to do all this stuff. We gotta do all these things. We somehow think that God's favor of us or favor in us is tied to our performance, and so we act like we gotta do all this stuff, but that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is not you do all these things and then God really likes you. The gospel is God loves you as his child already, and as a result, then we do some things because it's our joy and our honor to do that for the Lord, right? Those two things are very different. John the Baptist reminds me to ask myself that question. Man, what is my role in the kingdom of God? And I wanna do my role to the very best of my ability, and I don't have to I don't have to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. I don't have to look over, you know, look over the fence. The grass isn't greener because God's blessing someone else. God's doing something in their life. God's using them in some miraculous ways. I should be happy and excited for them. There's so much comparison that goes on in the church world, ministry world, Christian world in there. There's so much like looking over there at what God's doing in someone else's life and thinking I need to be more like that. And God's going, no, 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 no. You're not them. I didn't call you to be them. I didn't tell you to do what I told them to do. John the Baptist reminds us, man, what is my role in the kingdom of God? And let's do that to the very best of our ability, right? The final question that I wanted to ask when it comes to John's life, it's a question of priority. Question of priority. And it's this, what do you want sort of the overarching message of your life to be? It's kind of a question of legacy, if you will. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Think of it this way. This may be like a morbid thought, but I'll just go with it, right? Like, the reality is, for every single one of us, unless Jesus comes back first, we're, we're gonna, someone's gonna, someone's gonna preach our funeral. You ever hear the old expression, don't make the preacher lie at your funeral? <laughs> don't, don't, don't make us liars at your funeral. Like, someday, uh, you know, there's gonna be a preacher, maybe Austin, if he's not old and decrepit by then, he might preach my funeral, right? Like, what's gonna be said? What's gonna be the overarching message of your life? What do you wanna be known for? What do you wanna be remembered by? I love, John reminds me of this, to like, to live with that ultimate message in mind, to live your life with that, with that ultimate message in, in, in mind. John had a very clear message. His whole life just screams this one thing, this one thing, and it's found in words that he uttered in John chapter three, verse 30. It's one of the shortest verses in all the Bible. John simply says this. He, meaning Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. That was John the Baptist in a nutshell. 
He lived his whole life to the glory and honor and worship, pointing people to Jesus. His whole life was, it's all about Jesus, it is not about me. And everyone tried to get it to be about him. And he was like, nope, I'm not the guy. It's about that guy. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Worship him, follow him, obey him. Go, listen, you don't, don't follow me, I'm not the guy, that's the guy. What a great message in, for your life to be about, right? What a great message. John the Baptist, he didn't accomplish a whole lot, he didn't do much, but he lived his life to the glory and exaltation of Christ, pointing people to Jesus. So the question for us is this, listen, with the heartbeat in your chest and the breath in your lungs, what are you living your life towards? What is the message, what is the goal of your life above everything else, above everything else? How do you want to be remembered? And again, I've said this before, but like, you can spin your wheels and try to do everything right and try to, try to really do some great things in this world. Here's the honest truth. Most of us will not be remembered long. We just won't. You can be as great as you wanna be in this life and chances are you're not gonna be remembered long. And I've used the analogy before, but like to prove it, I would say, how many of you even know the name of like your great, 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 great grandfather? Wasn't that long ago. Maybe some of you history buffs are like, oh, his name was Bartholomew. I know who he, and exactly who he was. Most of us have no idea. I couldn't tell you anything about my great, 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 great grandfather. I have no idea. So he probably did some pretty cool stuff. I don't know, but I have no idea. We're gonna be forgotten. So here's the thing. We can spend our lives trying to make much of ourselves and we'll be remembered for a very short amount of time or we can spend our lives making much of glorifying and pointing people to the name that will last forever, the name that would be worshiped through all of eternity, right? That's what John did. John spent his life making much of the name of Jesus and, and, and making little of himself. And so again, he's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible for a lot of different reasons. But I think he causes us to ask ourselves some very legitimate questions, questions that we need to periodically be asking ourselves. Like, what is my identity rooted in? Man, what, am, what is my identity in? Right, what am I, am I full of the Holy Spirit or am I full of myself? Right? Those are just, they're just, they're just legitimate questions that we need, to be, we need to be asking ourselves. He's talking about what is the role? What is your role in the kingdom of God? I think that's a question you need to legitimately be asking yourself periodically. What am I doing with what God has given me? And then what is the ultimate message of my life gonna be? Am I gonna spend my life making much of me or making much of him? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful um, for the life of this man you called great, this man named John the Baptist. And God, in a lot of ways, his life is really challenging. It's really challenging. But he has a lot to teach us about our identity in you caring more about what you say about us and who we are than what the world says about us. He teaches us, God, about humility and how to walk in humility and be full of the Holy Spirit and not full of ourselves. God, he teaches us about not getting wrapped up in the comparison game where we always feel like we gotta match up or measure up with someone else and what you're doing in their life rather than being content with what you're doing in our life. He teaches us about our capacity to build the kingdom and, and doing what you've given us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And then God, he reminds us that 
We ought to spend our lives making much of the name of Jesus and pointing people to Jesus rather than trying to make much of ourselves. So God, again, it's very challenging, but we're just grateful for this example. And I pray that you would just give us grace this Christmas to to learn those lessons well. Father, we thank you today for your son Jesus, for his great sacrifice for us. We're thankful today that we actually have an identity that can be rooted in you because you have died on the cross in our place for our sin. And so we thank you for this today in Jesus' name, amen.